This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter three and Moses is on the mountaintop. He is with God and he is, he's finding out why he's there. He's finding out what the plan is, what God is doing up on that mountaintop. Why is he meeting with God this morning? And you know, uh, that's always a good thing to figure out is what is going on with God? What is his plan? What is he doing? Now, I want you to notice there's something that's not totally common in this story. And what I'm saying is that God's going to give Moses a pretty clear and pretty succinct understanding of all that he's about to do. And he doesn't tell him everything, but he tells him a lot. And oftentimes that is, that is not the case with God. He generally speaking does not give you a lot of the story to come. He wants you to walk with him in the midst of that story. And then as that story is itself, as it works itself out, you'll know what's going on and you'll know what's happening because you'll see the hand of God at work. He doesn't do that with Moses. And I contend that, that the likelihood that Moses has so many questions and so many problems with it is because God did give him a pr- pretty clear insight into the fullness of what he did. You remember, um, you remember when you're dealing, when we were dealing with Abraham, God just told him to go to a land you do not know and live among a people you do not know and told him the direction to head in. That's, uh, that's not a, not a lot of information to work off of. Obviously, Jacob, when he fled his brother Esau, he knew he was going back to the home of his father, but he didn't know how that story was going to work out and work out. And God met him on the way at Bethel, and he didn't know the story very much. And then, obviously, you that Joseph didn't know the story at all. He really didn't have any idea about the story. In fact, the story was thrust upon him and not him on it. And his character carried through to the end. When you look at Joseph's life, you realize that God was guiding Joseph in such a way that Joseph really had no choice. He moved in the matter. Now with Moses, he tells him a lot. I contend that oftentimes people say, I want God to tell me what's happening. And I'm not sure that you always do. And because I think that our reaction to God's revelation of the future might be a lot, our reaction might be a lot less enthusiastic than we would think it would be. We would probably major on the negatives and not major on the positives. As an attorney, if I've worked out a plea deal for a criminal, or maybe I've worked out a deal in a civil case between the two parties, when I take the deal in there, almost always, when I present what I've tried to work out for them, 
they never, ever focus on the positive aspects of it. Now, when I say never, ever, sometimes I'll have somebody that's sober-minded, somebody that is thinking clearly, and they'll go, we got this and this, and those were the main things we wanted, and so I'm willing to give up that. And those people, generally speaking, are not the ones who caused the problem to cause the case to be in court, because if they were in if they were the only ones a part of the decision, the decision would have already been made and they wouldn't have wasted money on lawyers to get the problem solved. They would have already done it. So I realize that the problem is usually on the other side when that happens. It rarely does. Most of the time they focus on the negatives. And sometimes the negatives are so minute and insignificant that it drives you crazy as you're dealing with it. You just, you're sitting there going, look, you're getting everything and you still want the broom? It was your favorite broom? No, we'll let them keep that with the business. They bought the business and the broom goes with the business. And so many times that's the way it works out. So many times that's the way it works out. They focus on the negative. I contend that when Jesus called when Jesus called Peter in the boat and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men after he'd given him such a great catch that obviously if he's going to be that good a fisherman, a fish that he was going to make Peter into a great fisherman of men. I contend if he went through all the things Peter was going to have to endure after that, that Peter would have said, no way. There's no way I'm ever going to do that. There's no way I'm going to ever. I know I'm out. And so many times that's the truth. I think God knew that Moses was a man of firm character and that this cause that God was going to send him on, and the cause was to deliver his people out of the bondage of Egypt, was so close to Moses' heart that it made Moses inclined to want to do it, even though he's going to make a lot of excuses. And oftentimes that's what we do with God. We make excuses. And so God doesn't give us the whole picture because there will be a lot more excuses to be made. And I'm thankful for that. If you want to know the truth, I'm really thankful that God doesn't always tell me everything that's to come. A lot of ways, it's a surprise. I want to enjoy the experience. And finally, I might just not get out of bed if he told me everything. And that's you too. That's you. He says, and the Lord said in verse 7 of chapter 3, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. What he's saying is, I know what's going on. You don't have to explain it to me. Nobody has to bring it up to me. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And notice they're in bondage. And they're in the midst of a great struggle. And their sorrows are best associated with pain. That verse can be translated pain also. He says, I know their pain. I, I, I feel their pain. I understand their struggle. And I can identify, I understand what's going on. He says, so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Notice it's God's deliverance that's being brought about. Now, Moses is going to be in the eyes of the people of Israel for from now forevermore. He's going to be the picture. He's going to be the person that is the deliverer. But it's God's deliverance that Moses is meeting out. It says, so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to the, bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. No, he's, notice he's not just going to deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt. That's not the plan. He, the plan is to bring them to his promises. 
The plan is to bring him to uh, the center of his will and his plan for his people. He, he has a plan that's just beyond getting them out of the trouble of the moment. He has a plan that's going to culminate in ultimately them having the spirit-filled life. He says, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I'm going to regularly call them, uh, I'll start with the Canaanites, and then I'll end, rather than saying all those names, I will end with, and all those ites. And so we, he's going, he identifies where he's going. He's being very specific. I'm going to deliver them out of Egypt. I'm going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. That land is the land that I promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the land that is populated by this six, these six tribes. They are the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You need to understand that these names are going to come up a lot because God's going to deal with them. Notice he has a specific place for them to be. He has a specific place for them to conquer. He has a specific place for them to to be located. That is true then, back a millennia before Christ, and it is true today, two millennia since then. That has been their land for 3,000 years, and he understands what he's doing. He has purpose and meaning in what is going on. He says, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Notice, he says, I know what's going on, and I have heard their cry. There's a difference between verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7 says, God ha- God sees in the midst of what's going on, whether you realize it or not, whether you understand what's happening or not, God sees it. Verse 9 says, God hears us when we recognize it. God understands what's going on when we recognize it, and he understands uh, our heart in the matter. He says, I behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have heard them. I understand what is going on in their hearts about this matter, that they desire to be delivered. Now, they do desire to be delivered, but they're not going to accept their deliverance very well. It's not such that they're going to uh, receive it just because it's there. God's going to have to teach them and grow them, and they're going to have to become. And by the way, that happens for you and your deliverance also. God's got to grow you in the midst of that. God's got to tell you exactly what's going to happen. He says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this principle is an important principle, and I want to rest on it for the end of this Bible study. The principle is this, that God can operate and act outside of the function of man. God does not need man's function in it in order to do his will and his way. Now, that being said, God has chosen man to function as his representative, as his emissary in the world. That is God's sovereign choice. He has chosen since the Garden of Eden for man to be in charge of his work and his will. He placed Adam in charge in the garden. He, the second Adam came, as Hebrews tells us, in Jesus Christ and fulfilled God's plan for 
humanity and for his creation. God works through individuals. My dad's, one of my dad's favorite passages is a passage in Ezekiel. When I say one of his favorites, one of his favorites when I was a boy, when he was a senator here in Alabama and went to preach churches. And I'd get to hear my dad preach probably four or five times a year at different churches. And he usually preached from the passage that says, yea, I, I uh, look for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge for my sake. What he's saying is God looks for individuals to do his will and his work in the world. In fact, he has chosen man to glorify himself. And so God chooses individuals to do his work. He could do it on his own. He could do it without man ever recognizing it or ever seeing it. But he desires that we would see his hand at work. And he desires that we would understand what he's doing by putting us in position to know his will, to know his plan, and to receive it and act upon it by faith. He has put us in that position so that he might maximize his glory. And you go, how does that maximize his glory? Because it allows all to know that he's at work. It allows all to know that he's acting. And oftentimes in situations, we cry out to God, not knowing that the the primary tool in the situation for which God's will is going to be done is you. It is you. And the reason it is because God, by his divine sovereign will and by his own desires of his heart to maximize his glory, has chosen to take broken and in, incomplete and, to tell you the truth, sometimes unworkable and unusable vessels like ourselves. Some of us are broken pots. Some of us are pots with holes in it. And some of us are shattered pots laying all over the ground. And God can even take the shattered, broken pot and mend it and make it and use it for his will. He can do that. And that maximizes his glory. That maximizes his uh, presenting his power. Because remember, his power is the greatest when it is, it's flowing through the weakest vessel. His power is the greatest and his glory is the greatest when it is used for the broken vessels. If you'll remember, Gideon called that army together and called the men of Israel to go and fight and throw off the yoke of their oppressor. And there were a lot of men showed up for battle. And God said, it's too many. And he went through a process of separating them out. And in that process, he would have the men do one thing or the other. And as he had them do one thing or the other, he would choose the ones who were the weakest. Their actions would have been clearly the weakest actions. It would reveal that they were weak. And so ultimately, he whittled Gideon's mighty army down to a bunch of misfits, ones who are weak and ones who are afraid. And he used them to ultimately bring about his victory for Israel. God uses broken, God uses marred, God uses less than perfect vessels for his will, mainly human. There is a donkey involved in one of them. He uses those vessels to bring about his purpose and his will in the world. And you've got to understand that. Oftentimes we look for deliverance 
and God's deliverance is already inside of us because we are the kingdom of God. We're going to see that next week in, in, in our study in Daniel, where the kingdom that is used at the end of that smashes the giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees. We're going to see that there's a kingdom that lasts forever. That kingdom is the kingdom of God, and that kingdom of God is inside of you, and that kingdom of God wants to manifest itself in your life. It wants to bring about God's purpose in your life, and so you oftentimes, being as broken as you are, being as limited as you are, being as ignorant as you are, remember I didn't say stupid, ignorant, you don't know, being as ignorant as are, you are the vessel God desires to use to bring about his glory and his kingdom. And you've got to you've got to begin to hear God's will. Remember, that's what he did with Moses. He said, I've seen it. I already know it. Nobody had to tell me. He says, I've come down with a plan. He says, I heard my people's cry. I'm going to I'm going to glorify myself because they have come to me and asked for it. Now I am going to use you, Moses. I'm going to use you today. You're the vessel. Now, we're going to find out next week as we study through this that Moses is going to do some backtracking on his willingness to go. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to come up with his excuses why he can't be used, just like you, you will come up with your excuses why you can't be used. That being said, the most broken and the most limited vessels oftentimes are the ones God uses for his greatest glory. And so I would say to you, if you are facing something, if God's at work in your life in some way, and you are beginning to question whether or not God is going or can or will use you, the answer is, if you're the lesser you are, the more likely it is that God is going to use you. And so steal yourself for that possibility. Prepare. Get ready. Because there's a strong likelihood that God is preparing to use you for his kingdom purposes. And why shouldn't we want to be a part of that? There's no reason why we wouldn't want to. He's God, and his plan is perfect. And so I would say to you, prepare yourself for it. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you hope and peace as you go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.